You're listening to Thunder Quack Podcast Network. Thursday, March 4th. The Batman arrives. Join Carl and Amy each week as they break it down 20 minutes at a time. That's one of the guys I got into it with the other night. Looks like I broke his nose. Kenzie William, he's an off-duty cop. Are you sure no one can see these things in my eyes? Don't worry, I'm watching it. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Chapter 3 of the Bat and the Cat podcast. Don't worry, I'm watching. We're so excited to have you back as we continue our breakdown of The Batman. And apologies for our week off last week. Uh, I was quite sick and under the weather and very glad to be back. Of course, um, I am one of your hosts, Carl, and with me is the cat to my bat. We're back with Amy. Hi, y'all. So excited to keep this going and so much more cat to happen today. A lot of cat today. So uh, much cat. It's all about the cat. <laughs> so I wanted to, I realized I didn't do this on our on our previous two episodes for folks listening, but in case anyone is actually following along directly with the movie, um, I figured I'd share with you the timestamps uh, of, of what we're covering in each episode moving forward. So in case you're curious, this is minute 41, 46 seconds through one hour and 14 seconds. So that's what we'll be covering in chapter three here of the podcast. Um, and Amy, let's just let's just dive right into it like <laughs> like uh, Batman does with with Gordon here in the morgue as they pull out the very uh, deformed body of Commissioner Pete Savage. Uh, what grabs you in this particular scene, Amy? You know, just like when we're in uh, Bruce's gothic mansion, I love that it's silent. There's no music playing, and it just has this emphasis on the sounds. So you hear them pulling the body out. You hear the screeches. You hear the creaks. You can even hear them breathing a little bit. It's just it's just fantastic to not have the music behind it. Um, and the, the irony of this being an arsenic and rat poison for one of the uh, people who are protecting a rat made me morbidly giggle while they're in the morgue <laughs> i didn't even notice that i didn't there's a sound of a rat no not a sound of a oh, rat oh, oh. but it's arsenic rat poison oh, that right, poisons right, right. him yeah yeah mm-hmm. yeah no it's just it's just silent in there and it's just all the sounds of you know pulling uh pulling out the body and just the noises that makes with the wheels and um everything coming out and then when you hear them close it again too there's the echoes of the doors and just it's just fascinating I, I just love the way that they play with sounds and throughout this whole movie uh, that, that, that i just like it i'm just thinking now you have me just rethinking about this scene from from that sound file sense uh i mean lots of i don't know there's just like lots of cold sounds too you know i mean the slab of being pulled out the i mean it's a very concrete room um very sterile very cold um, so yeah, what an interesting thing to, to point out. Um, I think the first thing that really grabs me is when Gordon pulls the sheet off of Pete Savage. And, and again, right, this is not an R rated movie. They're not trying to, to in any way, like focus a lot on the horror and the, the, the brutality of the violence. And so it's right. It's, it's shot very expertly. It's not showing us the body, but what grabs me is that when Gordon pulls it back, he he doesn't look, right? I mean, it's clear he's probably looked once, but he doesn't look again, right? He pulls it back, and then you just see Batman staring at it. And to me, there's just this, this interesting contrast of uh, Gordon is so repulsed. He doesn't need to look again, right? He doesn't need to see this. He doesn't want to yeah. see his friend's mangled face, and he looks away. But Batman looks at it with his very, you know, detective eyes. I mean, he's, he's looking at it so inquisitively. It's almost a little like disturbing of like, wow, he's really taking in every detail, but he's just doing his job. And it just has me thinking like, 
what kind of a person is able to look at this with such a stillness? You know what I mean? Like he doesn't seem phased by it, almost as if he's not human. And and I don't mean that overtly, but right, like he he becomes this persona as the Batman, and the Batman can't be afraid of anything. Is almost how I interpret it. So. He's not he doesn't show a sign of disgust. He doesn't show any sign of fear, whereas Gordon is a very human character responding in the moment. He doesn't want to look. He doesn't want to spend any any second longer looking at his his murdered friend. Yeah, and I I like the way you describe that between the contrast between them. You know, Gordon's just learning that people who are on, you know, the quote unquote right side of the law really aren't um, because he is. And he always thought that everybody who was on his side was on his side. And, you know, I'm interested to what you, what your thoughts are on the dialogue too um, between them. Cause I think it really shows that contrast when uh, the Batman says to Gordon, maybe he's not who you thought. Mm-hmm. And Gordon says, you make it sound like he had it coming. And the Batman said, guy's a cop. He crossed the line. And to me, you know, the Batman likes to uh, feel like he's not like the Riddler, but this is this is a sign of vengeance. And the way he says that, you know, that's something I would expect vengeance to say, uh, not the Batman that we've grown up with. Um, so you see this this little bit of darkness and where he does have those connections that created people like the Riddler. That's a you know, Amy, I was going to ask you that same question. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, that that particular line of dialogue from Batman, you know, uh, he's a cop. He crossed the line. Um, it's it's sort of ironic because it's like, do you really have? Are you really a, a allowed to say that? Like, you're a vigilante. <laughs> you know, you mm-hmm. you cross the line every night. Um, but to me, it's 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 a way of. I, I I think the Batman does. He kind of holds himself above the system. Um, he sees himself as set apart from the system and therefore he can act in those gray areas. Uh, I think, and I think part of the reason he, he has such a respect for Gordon is because Gordon is bound by the rules and plays within them. Right. Um, so I think for Batman, it's, it's kind of just him highlighting like, you know, there are good cops out there, but your friend Pete was not one of them. Um, you know, he was, he was part of, the dangerous game if you will and and it caught up to him so yeah i mean there's a coldness to him of like he he doesn't offer any sympathy he doesn't offer any compassion it's just he crossed the line and these are the these are the consequences but it's interesting because batman sees himself is existing beyond those lines he's not bound by them but the police Mm -hmm. are which i just find a little bit ironic well i mean that's the same with the riddler right you know Mm. he thinks he's doing the right thing with what he's doing um, these, these killings are to help free and save the people of Gotham, just like the Batman is trying to bring this change to Gotham. That's a great point. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, I feel like that's something that'll probably come up regularly as we continue to talk through this movie is, is, is those continued blurred lines between Batman and Riddler. Um, oh, for sure. And anybody that the Batman interacts with, you know, we'll see it even with Selena in uh, this episode as well. Um, you know, he has this this line and you're either on this side or that side. And, he, he, you know, he wants certain people on his side. You know, I think if if Gordon was ever to cross the line and not be on his side, you know, what would the Batman be like? I don't know. Um, he needs that. He needs to believe that there's these good people that still exist in order to have that hope. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, the, in, is there is there kind of investigating the, you know, the sick rat maze <laughs> trap that. Riddler has provided yet, you know, further clues and with uh, the ciphers um, as they're as they're looking at it, you know, and, and Batman pulls out the note, which I, I have to say is a little comical that nobody else found that note. Like, man, these are some dumb cops. <laughs> this is going to happen again later in the movie when he finds the last note. It's just like nobody thought to, like, press that button. <laughs> um, but when he reads the note um, and I love how Gordon is like, you know, find the rat, bring him in the light. What does that mean? The way Batman says, I don't know. He almost, he almost sounds frightened. Like, and, and I think it's because he, he's running. I think this is the first time he's really felt challenged. 
as in his detective mode, really, you know, and 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 I, I again really appreciate this this interaction of of Gordon with Batman because Gordon really clings to Batman as a figure of hope. He really clings to Batman to be kind of this savior figure, um, you know. So he's looking to him like, "What does this mean? Tell me what it means." And I think Batman is so frustrated that he can't tell him the answers. And and the way he says, "I don't know," if you listen to the, just the timber of the way Rob delivers the line, he almost sounds like a a frightened boy for a moment. You know, I don't know. Like it's 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 a different it's a different sounding voice for him. Like he's you know, he's usually got that very deep kind of rough voice as he speaks throughout the movie. But in this one particular delivery of the line, I just love that he seems he's almost like he's unsure of himself. Well, I mean, you know, he he created the Batman as a way to bring this vengeance for what happened to his parents and uh, continue his parents legacy in his own definition of it. But, you know, he. It, that also shows that he's never really healed from that trauma as a child. So yeah, like having those digressions, I agree with you, Carl, you know, it's going, it's going to show sometimes. Yeah. Um, and quick shout out to the, how the scene ends. My boy, officer Martinez. Um, I love officer Martinez. He, he, he's one of these side characters in the movie that kind of gets an arc. And I really like that. I mean, oh, yeah. we've got our main characters for sure, but I love that a character like Martinez who to me is like the every person, right? He's the, he's not the hero. He's not the, he's not that the high up cop. You know, he's not Gordon. He's not a criminal. He's, he's just the honest police officer trying to do the right thing. And I like that he's the one who shows up because right the first, the first time we see him, he tries to keep Batman out of Mayor Mitchell's, you know, crime scene, you know, whoa, 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 you know, oh gosh, I love that little thud. Oh, so hot. (laughs) Um, But now, now we see him, enabling their secret right like he he's helping protect their little secret meeting by showing up and saying hey you know everybody else is showing up you got to get out of here so i love that you know as we continue to have little moments with martinez we're gonna see him evolve in his relationship with the batman you know he's no longer trying to keep him out but is actually helping keep the secret and i love that i think that shows you know the the honest person that martinez is as well um you know the, the when you know like you said when when he first met, saw the batman coming to a scene he was you know trying to hold him back from it but he also saw gordon trust the batman mm. and martinez seems to respect gordon oh, and yeah. so if gordon trusts the batman then martinez you know in the side will also trust batman oh, i love that amy that's so true right it's 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 not necessarily a direct relationship with batman initially it's more of gordon's the intermediary if you will right if if he Clearly, like you like you noted, must have such tremendous respect for Gordon. And if Gordon trusts this guy, I guess I can too, right? Um, great, <laughs> really, 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 uh, really interesting point. Um, but Amy, now we get to go spend some time with the cat. Yay! Uh, and we get to see things. Batman gets to literally see through her eyes. Um, my goodness, this this whole next scene of of the two of them. Which, by the way, worth noting where they are, like where he's, you know, giving her the the contact lens to wear and setting up for this little sting operation. This is in the exact same building Riddler lives in. (laughs) (laughs) It's just so crazy, like because it's right across the Asperg Lounge, which, again, last episode, right, we noted how you can see Riddler taking pictures out of his window. Um, Mm -hmm. This is probably just a few floors below where Riddler is. (laughs) Um, And... uh, my goodness, this is such a, a great a great character moment between them. Um, what do you think Selena feels or thinks about the Batman at this point, right? Like, she's been very adamant. She's only doing this to help Annika. She's just in this for her friend. But there's also something that intrigues her to Batman, right? The, the way she almost feels pushed aside. Oh, you don't really care about me at all. Like, she almost feels pushed aside by him. What do you think is, how is Selena navigating this interesting relationship with a vigilante you know i think i think she's still questioning who he is who he is too because she has her own motives which is to help find her friend and you know they're kind of using each other right now because he has the mechanism to help her do that um but uh he she also has the mechanism to help him get into a place where it's not as easy for him to get into as the batman um, and, and I like the way she says that line too, when she talks about him not caring and she's like, boy, you're a real sweetheart. 
you don't care what happens to me at all, do you? And he just looks at her um, with, with this look. And it, it's kind of like that moment where it's like he's questioning if he does care about somebody because he's so standoffish with everything and everything is just a, a, a project, um, something that he's trying to solve, an investigation. But there's this human aspect to it now, um, somebody that he's starting to have a little bit of care for. And so it was it was interesting to see just the way the silence between them, but the way that they look at each other and are trying to, to figure out who the other one is uh, not well, not behind the mask, but, you know, just as as a person, like, are they somebody who's trying to help the people or, you know, are they one of these corrupt people as well? Mm, yeah, I like that. You know, it, it, it's just feeling out who he is as a person. Um and yeah, like you said, I don't I don't think she, at least not in this moment, doesn't particularly care who he is as a person insofar as like, who are you under that? Um, but yeah, just trying to, to weigh who, who he is, what he's in this for and, and all of that, because he does just appear so businesslike. Um, but I think for the Batman to, uh, you know, as you noted, Amy, you know, they're allies in the scene. He he needs to he needs eyes in there, but he can't roll in as the Batman. Um, he probably couldn't roll. He couldn't even roll in as Bruce Wayne, right? He'd raise different kinds of eyebrows, but he'd still raise eyebrows. Selena can get in that into that world. She inhabits it already, so she can get in. But she also needs him, and she needs this tech, this in in this support. Um, and to me, like I. I imagine he's probably never really loaned out any of his bat tech to anybody before. <laughs> Maybe Gordon. I mean, we don't see it in this movie. Um, but besides Gordon, I can't imagine he's given anybody those contact lenses to wear any of his tech. Right. Like there's there's I mean, that's that's some pretty precious property of his that he's willingly loaning out. So I think it does show that he trusts her to an extent to go into this space. Um but I, I think still in this moment, he doesn't know how to express that because, you know, she's like, you really don't care what happens to me. And the way he looks down at her, right? It's this very, very sexually tense scene, right? Is you got you got her beautiful face looking at his beautiful jawline. Um, <laughs> you're just like, I mean, I don't know about you, Amy, but I definitely one of the times I've went into the movie theater, I was like, just guess him. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, but it's it's. I think in that silence and, and even in that those lack of words, like. He certainly does. And I like that rather than kissing or anything like that, he pulls out something then and offers her, you know, like an earpiece. So it's it's not he doesn't have the words to say that he cares, but he does kind of follow through with actions. Right. Like I've given you I've given you eyes into the space. And also here's this so that I can stay in touch with you. And I love it as she's going in and after she encounters, you know, Kenzie and She's clearly flustered as she's taking the elevator down, you know, to the 44 below. And she's like, mm -hmm. you sure nobody can can see these things? Don't worry. I'm watching you. Right. And it's <laughs> it's meant to be words of comfort, I think. Um, and it is. I mean, I, I and I think that she genuinely believes if something bad goes down, he's he's going to roll in their fist blazing, you know. Yeah, I mean, I feel like he's trying to show off to her a little bit, too, because when uh, she's able to identify who Kenzie is uh, through through the tech, um, you know, the Batman's like, oh, off-duty cop, I, I busted his nose. Mm. And I was like, you know, trying to impress her, like, yeah, look what I just <laughs> did to this guy. <laughs> like this corrupt cop. <laughs> oh, yeah, I was going to ask you how you kind of gauge that, you know, it like, looks like I broke his nose. <laughs> like, yeah. is is that him just being practical? Like just saying like, look, yeah, like just kind of like checking this box or is it him kind of trying to flex a bit, right? Like, looks like I broke his nose. <laughs> you know, yeah. it, how do you, I mean, what do you think? Do you think he's, uh, you think he's trying to flex for her there or is he just, is he just I being I think it's practical? a little of both. Okay. I, I think, you know, it's like telling her, yeah, I did that. See what I did? And, uh, <laughs> and like, no, but knowing he's not a good person. So, you know, to her, she's not going to care that he, busted this guy's nose but also just you know kind of the matter of fact like yeah you know i i busted this corrupt cop's nose he deserved it vengeance got it <laughs> um well as she's making her way through the club you know you we're seeing everything through her eyes right we see these kind of sleazy businessmen or 
in most cases, government officials, you know, kind of seeing her, but immediately looking down. I love how Batman notes looks like they got a little trouble with eye contact. Is he jealous? You think? Like, is he, no, is... <laughs> no. Well, you know, she she says to him, "Feels good, doesn't it?" You know, he's he's not really out in public either. Like, you know, he he doesn't really go out. I mean, he's a gorgeous person, but you know, he's awkwardly when he is in a Bruce Wayne form, as we'll see a little later too. Um, you know, he's not he's not used to people looking at him. Where you know, as a beautiful woman, you know, rather they're they're all like new human. Who is this person who never comes down here? Gorgeous person, and they're all just googling at her. Um, Go- googling, and just, yeah. <laughs> they're all on their phones on Google. Actually, what? Is, but then there's an outlier who's asking Jeeves. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> there's a data sentence. <laughs> Uh, that's so so Amy you you take that line of feels good as her saying that to Batman yeah well I mean as like a sarcastic thing like you know being somebody as a beautiful woman she's she has people that are constantly staring at her like that and you know not in like a you know like in this kind of area it's probably not you know the most respectful way that they're staring at her they can't really keep their eyes on her eyes like yeah you know at least a come up and say hi or you know just just let a person go by without having to glare at them and drool <laughs> so <laughs> yeah right well it's it, these are just people that see her as a piece of meat right um, yeah probably yeah and i think that's part of what um probably part of what she'll come to really respect about batman is that he doesn't he doesn't treat her like that you know i think i think yeah. he sees her as a person well, and, and that's what we're seeing that wall break down, right? You know, when, when he, when, when they are having that interaction before she went in, she's just, you know, she's just a piece of his puzzle solving. Um, she's something that can go in and help him solve something that he needs. And he's not really looking at her as a person until she says, you don't care what happens to me. And then he looks at her and is like, whoa, uh, you know, I'm here to save people like her, like getting that kind of like, yeah, I, I should look at her as a person. Like you can see like that confusion in his mind. Mm. Yeah. Um, well, when, when we, when here, when we finally get to meet, you know, Gil Colson, the DA, um, I mean, uh, I, the actor is Peter Sarsgaard, who's been in a lot of things. He plays the role perfectly. I mean, he's just kind of this oh, yeah. sleazy politician, you know, comes up to her, immediately starts hitting on her. Um, even though he's a married man, presumably with children, um, you know, and, uh, I just like how it's establishing, it further establishes the world of just how corrupt Gotham is, is that there's all these untouchable people, um, who think that they're just above the law. Um, which again, furthers kind of some of the points you've been making, Amy, about these real crossovers between Batman and Riddler with, you know, Batman's trying to eradicate the evil of Gotham but he doesn't really know what's at the root of it. Whereas Riddler does and Riddler's in a different way trying to find justice, you know? Yeah. And you know, it, it's interesting too, because we have this, this theme of, you know, when, when I say comparing them to the Batman likes to use fear as a powerful tool, but you can see how Riddler is using fear as a powerful tool on these people who are still alive that know about the rat. Because two people have been gruesomely murdered now, and now they're just you know like sitting duck. You don't you don't know who's who's going next. Um, you have this fear because you know the secret, and obviously the Riddler knows everybody that knows the secret and who's part of the, this corrupt group. Um, so he he has this fear put into them, and you know they're they're doing these drugs, these drops to try to just mellow themselves out and try to stay calm. But it looks like. Uh, you know, about to cry. And <laughs> it's just, you know, it just, uh, it, and that's something that's interesting too, is that when, when Selena sits down with the group, you know, she's touching his leg and she, she says, uh, you know, that, Hey, tell me more about this rat. But she says it in that motherly tone that, you know, I got that same mm. vibe from her when she's protecting Annika. Like she just has this natural mother has that thing about strays, you know, bringing in all the, all these cats, um, she just has that nice comforting care about her and, you know, this person's opening up and, you know, telling her way more than he probably should be. Yeah. Great point. And it's her, it, 
right? She, she, it's almost like she has these, it feels sleazy saying that, but like these two major assets, right? One is just the, the, the sense that she is this beautiful woman, which allows her to, you know, sidle up to pretty much anybody in a space like this. But also she has that thing, you know, she just has that kind of nat- natural maternal energy to her, as you pointed out, where she's she's caught his eye, right? She's a, a very attractive woman. So he invites her into the circle. But what kind of pulls out some of this information isn't just her being a hot body, but rather this, like you said, you know, she puts that. The, the I mean, the hand on the leg is, I would say, it's, it's a little sexual. It's a little bit sensual. Um, but also, right, coupled with this, you know, tell me about the rat, right? Like like you said, it's 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 all in that delivery. It's it is very maternal. It's it's sounds like you've got a lot on your shoulders, dear one. Please share with me. <laughs> you know, like it's this this invitation to be to to be open and vulnerable. And he immediately starts saying too much. Um, and uh, yeah, you know, and is the other I don't remember the character's name, but the, the, the other woman is like, whoa, whoa, careful here. Like this is the stuff that got that other girl disappeared. And as she kind of goes off yeah. to the bar and Selena goes after her, I, you know, obviously Batman's like, no, 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 stay on the D.A. I'm here for my friend. What I really appreciate about this moment, Amy, is that. Batman doesn't continue to harass her, right? He doesn't say like, no, 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 go back. Like he's not yelling at her to, he just kind of lets her do what she needs to do. Um, which I don't know that just like, that really strikes me as, is, you know, as I, as I'm watching these scenes more intently for the purpose of this show, <laughs> you know, that just kind of grabbed me as like, of course he gets pissed off and says like, no, 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 stay on the DA. But she reminds him why she's here. And then it seems mm-hmm. like the fact that he doesn't argue with her, to me, tells me that he respects why she's there and he's giving her the space to do what she's also there to do. So I don't know. I mean, I kind of appreciate that about about him in that little moment. Um, am I reading too much in this? Do you think what What do you no, think? About- no, no, I agree. And I think, you know, looking at it with my analytical mind as well, um, it shows, you know, it could show two sides, right? You know, he letting her go talk to I think her name was Carla. Letting yes. her go talk to Carla um, will, you know, he might learn something from her mm. being able to talk to Carla because Carla's obviously somebody that's down here often is familiar with the people, knows what's going on. Um, she may have some kind of information that then also helps him in some way, too. Maybe she's been around some of the other people. Um, but, you know, like you said, too, he could just be letting her, you know, go find her friend because, you know, she's a person and he care. he's starting to care now and knows that that's still a good thing, too, because that's also something that's uh, a, a case that needs to be solved. Where is Annika? Great point. Yeah. It, so it, once again, it can be a both end, right? It's, it's, it's a respect of her as her person and, and being there for a friend, but, but also detective Batman saying, all right, well, this is something, you know, Annika is involved in all of this as well. She's part of the case. This will give me, like you said, more information. Um, yeah, and Carl, yeah. I don't know if um, I don't know if you if you notice this or not, but when you know when it saw Kenzie and when it sees the DA, you know the the tech is telling the Batman who all these people are. But when it got to Carla, it said affiliation unknown, mm. and I just I found that super interesting. That you know it, it's kind of like Selena, right? Selena's mysterious to him, and she's pro- she probably would have the same output as is affiliation unknown. Um, but there's no real ties to these women who are working in the iceberg lounge and 44 below. Um, and, and I just, I found that interesting. I didn't know if you had any thoughts into if there's any, any more, you know, like meaning behind that, or if there's just something, something deeper, if it's just because, you know, she doesn't have any kind of political or criminal ties in any way. I, first off, just, would never have even picked up on that. So just want to elevate the fact that you notice <laughs> that's really cool. Um, but what it has me thinking now, just in the context of the way we've been talking about Selena, the, you know, both now and even the previous episode. And, and as you've, you know, made it very clear, her, her, her draw to strays, what it has me thinking is, is maybe affiliated unknown. Like these are the, these are these women that exist that society forgets, right? They're, they're, <laughs> They're, they're these forgotten people that exist in the cracks that nobody really cares for, you know? Um, they're not the political elite, um, but they're also not hardened criminals who are on, you know, the FBI watch list. They're these people that exist in between that space. And 
are often forgot it, forgotten. So that's kind of what's kind of bouncing through my head right now is that Ooh. these are these people that just nobody cares about. Um, I like and, the way you phrase that. And it, you know, it kind of goes back to the people Riddler's protecting as well. Yeah. Yeah. There, it, it, quick side tangent. One of my weirdly favorite movies is, is a movie called Wind River. It's with Jeremy Renner and Elizabeth Olsen. And it's about um, a young woman who is sexually assaulted on a Native American reservation and, and dies. And it, the whole story is pre- uh, precipitate. Oh, my goodness. Is based on the fact that the writer and director was made aware that there are literally no files kept for women, Native American women on reservations who go missing. There's no files kept by the FBI, by the Indian uh, Bureau Affairs. And it's just this really tragic story about these. This is a population of women in the United States who are forgotten. So like this, it just has me thinking kind of in that regard, Amy, is like, you know, unknown affiliation because nobody cares about her. Right. She's she's not worth keeping tabs on almost. Right. Like and I don't mean that like as a judgment call, but as, as a judgment call on the system no. right? that forgets yeah. them. So. Yeah, that's a gosh, great, great tag there, Amy. <laughs> um, I love that. I've been watching it enough now to try to keep up with you. <laughs> so, whoa, whoa, hey, hey, I'm just here to do the work of the bat. You know, I just evangelize in the name of the bat. So, <laughs> um, but uh, well, so then she, you know, bumps into Falcone. Um, we get our first head on view of him and, and just watching Batman watch this interaction um, and then their, you know, their verbal encounter of, you know, Carmine Falcone, you didn't tell me you had a relationship with him. And she, she's so offended. And we'll learn later why she's so disgusted by his mm-hmm. insinuation. But I think also what we see is Batman reverting back into she's the bad guy, right? Like, oh, she's got close affiliation with the head of the crime family. She's a bad guy. That's how I inter- like Batman to me reverts in that moment into putting her back in the, the box of Black and white, she's there's good people and bad people. She's a bad person because she has a relationship with this guy. Um, how do you how do you take that encounter between Selena and Falcone? Yeah, I mean, I look at it more from the Batman side of it and how, you know, we started to see him have that emotion suddenly. Um, and it was a mix of anger and confusion and jealousy. Um, and, and it just, it just had this feeling, you know, he, he first saw her as, you know, a piece of his puzzle to solve this. And then he started to turn her into a person and then see her as a good person. He started to build this trust in her. And now he doesn't know where she is. He still can't read who she is. And, you know, he, he started to like, you know, have that same kind of trust that he has with Gordon, but should he not have that with her? Um, and you just see him start to get enraged by it. Mm. Yeah. Wow. True. Uh, it, 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 I, I also kind of, I mean, I even appreciate that almost the violence of her ripping the, the contact lens out, you know? Um, and, and I like that we get it from Batman's perspective because we just, we see the, you know, like the jittering, uh, the, of the, the camera lens as it's getting brought out of her eye and then just kind of goes black. Um, yeah, so the, the, we talked about this in, in the week, you know, when we, we were talking about Batman taking his own contact lens out. And I think we both agreed we're not huge fans of watching people touch their eyes. <laughs> and here you have Selena with those yeah. a- aggressively long nails <laughs> pulling something out of her eyeball. <laughs> well, we watched her put it in, too, and both That's times true. it just made me cringe. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, well, the scene... You know, right after this, you know, once again, you know, uh, Gil Coulson, sleazy man that he is, follows her outside hoping to, you know, in probably in his mind, take a drunk girl home with him because he's a sleazeball. Um, quickly rebuffed. <laughs> and uh, the scene of him essentially being kidnapped and assaulted, to me, just reminds me once again of like a horror movie, you know, that that, that creepy Riddler theme playing, that, that derivative of Ave Maria. Um, you know, the foggy window, the, the out of focus camera work, um, as he's swacked in the head with that same carpet tool. Um, I don't have much to say about this other than the fact that it's it, just once again, the Riddler is a character almost out of a horror movie. Uh, it, it, what are your thoughts on, on this scene be, of, of Gil being assaulted by the Riddler? Yeah. So 
this scene was super eerie and super creepy to me. You know, you have the Riddler, you hear the eerie, heavy breathing going on and him just watching the interaction between the DA and Selena and just sitting there waiting. And I don't know, it just was like, he's in that no mercy, brutal state again. And when the DA gets into the car, um, it's just so crazy that, you know, he just starts doing these wailing headshots on him that I feel like in real life, those headshots were so hard that it would have killed the DA. I don't, I don't know. Just like knocking him out enough was, it was, it was just crazy. Um, and that, that, uh, that neck thing that he puts on him with the, the glowing lights and just the fact that they, they look like, uh, stoplights, um, in a street was just so fascinating to me, um, as he's securing it. So, you know, if, if a passerby, you know, maybe just saw the lights, um, not really paying attention to it, may not even notice that this is coming from somebody's vehicle. And that's a little weird. Um, but yeah, you know, and this is another one of those moments where there's, you know, you have the Riddler's music that comes on and off, but, um, you hear a lot of that sound again too, between the ripping of the tape, um, Mm. the sounds of the lights as they click back and forth between them. Um, when the headpiece is going on, you hear the DA have this moan as well. Um, from the pain that's probably going in and also that that fear that's been in within him is is striking now like you know it's my turn here I go um and and yeah and then the camera just the way it pulls away from the scene too it's just it's just so eerie to me it was it, that was probably one of the creepiest scenes in the movie yeah again so so cool how you're highlighting just the the, the sound work of that scene and you know the 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 clink of you know it the sound of that that collar going around his neck is almost like his fate is being sealed and yeah, yeah. I, I like that you point out that that then we get that kind of high up shot of the blinking lights it's funny how you see it as a traffic light i i saw it as like police lights you know like it looks like his oh it's like, yeah like they look like you know the, the 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 lights on top of a police car to me um which is just so interesting because <laughs> He is very not safe. <laughs> no, but it's the Riddler delivering justice. Right. His, so I like the yeah. way that you see it like that. Yeah. Um, uh, then we, you know, we follow Gordon then through a, you know, dilapidated part of the city again. And I think it, what what no, it's noteworthy to me is, is on that short drive that Gordon is taking, um, we see... Lots of those, you know, Gotham renewal signs on the sides of buildings. Yeah. And, and of course, that's going to become very important later on in the movie. But what I think is worth noting even now is that they're in this kind of broken down part of the city or this this part of the city that looks like it's been paused in renewal. Right. It's still it's still kind of like yearning for renewal, yearning for completion um, and also kind of higher up, though, you see some of the. Bella Real signs though like I just I, I just like the placement of those signs like over renewal is kind of down at the root but it's this thing that has kind of died out so you've got the you know the Real signs higher up on the on some of these buildings um, kind of promising something better than than this this faded promise of renewal well I like I like that the signs say too for a brighter tomorrow mm. and then the renewal project and you're looking at this abandoned rusting just dark gothic area um that definitely isn't bright in any way um so you know where is this brighter tomorrow yeah still waiting on it (laughs) yeah and you know with gordon coming too i it it made me i found this scene pretty pretty cool that this time the bat lit the signal for gordon yes i was gonna ask you who you thought put put, turned it on yeah i think the bat turned it on and then gordon came so it's like it's like their little you know, like secret handshake between the two of them. Like, <laughs> hey, hey, buddy, here we go. Yeah, hey, I called you. Yeah, yeah. Set up the sign. I was, I was definitely gonna ask you that. I was like, it, it seems like Batman turned it on this time. Yeah, and, yeah. I, mean, I really like that because you know we don't ever really see that before where it's the bat putting the call out. We see other people putting it out for him. Yeah. Um. So I really like well, that. I mean, in the opening monologue, he says, "We have a signal now." I mean, implying that it's theirs, but I think the assumption is still that Gordon turns it on. For Batman, but yeah, yeah, it seems like here he came and 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 it, I don't know. It, to me, it it would indicate that it is this two way street. They both use it. They use it when they need the other person. Um, 
but my favorite thing about this scene, it, one is the music. I just, I, once again, Giacchino's score is unbelievable. But when Gordon goes over and turns off the signal, you hear before you see Batman say, he says something and then he just appears out of what was an eye beam, <laughs> you know, he, <laughs> similar to his, his first entrance in the film, right? Appearing kind of out of the dark. I love this motif that Matt Reeves gives to the Batman throughout the movie of him just kind of appearing as if out of nowhere. Um, It's so cool to me. Well, it's like he says, he is the darkness. Yeah. Um, So what, what strikes me about the conversation they have here is obviously the fact that they're very well aware that Riddler is this match trying to ignite something in the city here, something that's a system that's very broken. But what I love is when Batman says, you know, he's targeting people that that worked the the Maroney case and Gordon immediately becomes a bit trepidatious. Like, uh, I worked on that. And Batman gives him his kind of first, you're a cool guy. <laughs> you know, it's kind of his way of saying you're a cool guy is him just saying he's not after you. You're not corrupt. Um, yeah. Right. A, a, a nice little window into this is why Batman trusts him. He he. He believes in this guy. He he knows that Gordon is one of the good ones. Yeah, and you know, Gordon's never really shown the fear that the others do who know something about the rat, um, which which is a sign in itself. Like, he didn't really have a fear until for that split second where he, he's thinking, oh, crap, I was on that case, and the Batman talks him down from it, like like you said, you know, and it just it just shows how Gordon is, you know, one of the one of the good people. Yep. Yeah. Um I I love that all their meetings are it, it, to me it's just like a really cool treehouse <laughs> where they meet. Um, yeah, uh, and then w- we get to go back into the Batcave, and and Batman is just rewinding and rewatching and re-listening to that part where you know Selina is, you know I don't have a relationship with him. Why do you think that's what he's fixating on? Why is he so fixated on Selina? really really implying that there's no relationship there what what why is that got his ear do you think i think i i still think it's because of that emotional response he had to that interaction and you know for him there's a lot of things he just can't figure out about her and he's trying to figure out her um and she's that mystery he can't solve too and you know he he keeps going back and forth with that and you know you can sense his anger into it listening to it repeat rewind repeat rewind and uh yeah he just it's like he's just trying to figure out who she is and who, what what her relationship would be with a person like that if it's um not a relationship the way he's he's viewing it like mm. she obviously knows him in some way for him to acknowledge her in in this uh in this very elitist club yeah one of the one of the things I was wondering about, I'm curious if you if you think this is on point the way he I mean, he's studying it like it's a case. Right. Like once again, he's he's in detective mode mm-hmm. and it's very clear that Bruce Wayne took a lot of time like learning criminology and, you know, all sorts of tools of the trade to be a good detective. I think it would also follow that he's probably done a lot of like studying of psychoanalysis and, and the way people talk and the. You know, are they lying? Are they being truthful? So to me, it's almost like him also is like psychoanalyzing it even. Right. Like he. Yeah. And and there's there's a detachment to that. Right. Because it's Bruce is still too broken to probably really have a strong emotional, personal connection to somebody. But he's doing this almost as like a sterile observant rather than a person. If that does that make sense? I I think so. But I think I'm I'm seeing it in the opposite of it where. Mm. He, he's analyzing it because it is that moment that brought a, a feeling in him and he's mm. not used to that. He's trying to figure out what was it, uh, you know, about her, what, who is she? And just, he, he needs to know. And I think that really bothers him too, because there's so many things going unsolved right now. And I don't think he's as used to that as he is, you know, in, in this current moment. Yeah. Good point. That's, that's very true. Um, I like that, that, you know, he's, it's, it's elicited a feeling in him and, and it's one that he's going to have to explore a bit. Um, and then, uh, (laughs) Alfred shows up kind of, he's he's happy to see this scene. (laughs) Yeah. uh, And, um, you know, Alfred is, yeah, like 
he seems a bit elated. He's he's in normal clothes. Um, mm-hmm. Watching a person seems like he upset her, right? Like implying that there's maybe some interest there. It reminded me of one of my favorite scenes in The Dark Knight Rises when um, Bruce is down in the Batcave and investigating Selina Kyle and, and Alfred shows up and kind of implies that like, oh, you should swap recipes with her or something. And, and Bruce's, <laughs> Bruce's response to Alfred in, in, in that movie is, is like, oh, you're trying to set me up with a jewel thief. And he's saying, I would set you up with a chimpanzee if it would bring you back to the world. <laughs> um, and I, I found this scene slightly similar. Again, I don't think it's the same, but it's similar in the sense of, I think, it's an Alfred who recognizes a very broken Bruce and, hey, is this an emotional connection for him? Is this another human person that might draw Bruce Wayne out? I think it's it's the same spirit in the scene of Alfred having a sense of hope that there's a person that might bring Bruce back to the world. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you. And, you know, he, he's getting excitement from both of it. You know, he sees the Batman dressed as Bruce, not in his, you know, just returning from a night out on the streets garb and he's in this tuxedo instead. And he's watching this scene over and over again with this woman. And, you know, he might, yeah, like you said, bring out the person in Bruce rather than the Batman. Mm, yeah. Um, and, oh goodness. I, I love the exchange that they have then about the, um, oh my goodness, the, uh, the cufflinks, you know, yeah. and, you know, Bruce doesn't care. Like, ah, whatever. I, I, I'm only doing this because I'm following up on a crime, right? Like, it's it's so it's again so like sterile and detective. Um, and when he offers up to Bruce, you know, like it's important you keep up these appearances. You know, you're still a Wayne, and he recognizes clearly this is the Wayne monogram, right? This is their this is their sigil, if you will. And you know, it, it, it's a bit rude when he's like, "What about you? Are you a Wayne?" your father gave me these. I love this because it's, again, it's, it's a hint that, you know, I think in Bruce's mind, his family's gone, right? His family's dead and gone. Um, and a moment like this is Alfred saying, hello, I'm essentially a part of the family. Like you still have family. It's me, right? Like that's how I kind of, that's why I love this scene is, is I think it's Alfred implying I, I am a Wayne, you know, your, your father, in a, in a way, kind of christened me a Wayne uh, by extension. And yeah. you may think that you're alone in the world. You're the last living Wayne, but I'm there too. Um, know, what do you think about that? What do you think about that little exchange there? No, I, I agree. You know, Alfred is like family. It seems like, uh, you know, Bruce's father and Alfred are more like brothers. Mm. And, you know, Alfred's now been the person who's been the guardian of him between being a protector and an educator, you know, I mean, with how intelligent uh, Alfred is with solving these ciphers and, you know, his, his historical background, um, you know, it just shows how, how much Bruce has learned from him and his own investigative techniques and how intelligent he is. Um, but yeah, it's, it, it's, he's not really, you know, he, he won't try to replace his father, but he's still there for him as like an uncle would be or another caregiver of some sort. Yeah. Great point about the uh, uh, Thomas Wayne and, and Alfred almost being like brothers. Cause you know, it, they probably are about the same age, you know? I mean, my guess is Alfred's probably in his like early to mid sixties. Um, and mm-hmm. you know, Bruce is supposed to be in his, I think he's just about in his, I think he's like mid twenties to, to late twenties in this movie. Um, so yeah, I mean, Alfred would be about the same age, of his, is his father. And I like that. Cause again, like we talked about this in the second episode when we talked about what the, you know, how Alfred is kind of getting a little bit of a, a different uh, character beat than he has in the past. You know, I mean, I love Michael Caine as Alfred, but he's, he feels very grandfatherly. Whereas this Alfred feels more like, yeah. like you said, like an uncle or like uh, a different type of mentor. And I just appreciate that. Cause again, it's, it's doing a similar story just differently. And I, and I love Matt Reeves for that as well. Yeah, I mean, I mean, Alfred and Thomas had to have some kind of really close relationship for him to get as deep as he has been trying to solve this crime ever since it happened and figure out who's the one who killed the Waynes. Mm, yeah, yeah. Um, I got to say the uh, the scene then of, of of Bruce driving to the funeral. It's the oh. first statement of what I call the hero theme. 
um, the musical theme by Giacchino. And what's interesting is I, I, I don't care that both the director and the composer say, say differently. I have my own headcanon about the music. <laughs> um, so, right, the, there's the, you know, the dum, 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 which is like the vengeance theme. It's the Batman theme. Um, mm-hmm. But then there's this theme that is it's so Giacchino and Matt Reeves both say that this is the Bruce Wayne theme. Um, but I actually call it the hero theme. Um, so I don't think it's I don't think it can't be Bruce Wayne's theme. But to me, it's more the hero theme. And, and I'll talk more about this, especially in the last <laughs> last episode. Um, but I think the Batman theme is it's it's a theme of like vengeance and of, of eliciting fear. But this is to me the, the hero's theme. Um, and the reason I think this is the first we, we actually have heard a few statements of it earlier in the movie. I didn't we, the, the first couple times we actually hear it is in the opening fight with the gang. And then we hear it again um, when he encounters Officer Martinez the first time we hear quick little notes of it in the in the low uh, bass section of the strings. But this is the first full statement of it in the movie. And my interpretation of this, Amy, is it's because Bruce is being made aware of the needs of Gotham. He can't be a hero until he knows who he's fighting for, right? Um, Because so far, it's kind of been a selfish quest of vengeance, right? He's not going to fix anything because he doesn't even know what the problem is. So as he's noticing all these people with their, you know, like they're kind of like pro-Trump, excuse me, but not literally, uh, they're pro-Riddler signs, you know, he's noticing that there are people who are angry, who are in need of something that a hero needs to respond to. And that's why, to me, is the first time we hear this theme. Like, yes, if it is, in fact, the Bruce Wayne theme, of course, this is the first time we're really hearing it. It's the first time Bruce Wayne comes out into public in the movie. But I think it's also, it's the hero being made aware of a deeper need from an angry people um, that he needs to respond to because the dumb, 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 dumb won't fix it. (laughs) Um, Yeah, well, I I think it's interesting the way that you see it as the hero song, too, because... While Bruce is pulling up, um, you know, the, pro- the there's a bunch of protesters mm-hmm. and they have posters with the Riddler symbol. Yeah. And there's people throughout there dressed up like the Rid- Riddler. And, you know, he's being viewed as the hero right now mm-hmm. for these people yep. who are out there protesting. Yep. Yeah. Uh, and, 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 and that's going to have some huge repercussions later in the movie as he as he becomes aware of what it what it takes for him to be the hero. Um, but yeah, I, I just, I love it so much. And then as he parks the car and gets out, you know, we hear the, the media all clamoring. Oh my gosh, is that Bruce Wayne? Right. And all the cameras are flashing. Uh, it's very similar scene to again, dark Knight rises because he's, he's been a recluse for several years at, you know, at that point in the story. And the first time he makes his appearance, but of course it's a comical scene because Bruce pulls out a little Batman device and makes all their cameras die. <laughs> um, but you know what I love? Sorry, Carl. Yeah, you know what I love most about that scene, though, is the fact that it's Bruce driving himself. Mm, yeah, he doesn't have a chauffeur like in a lot of the a lot of the other ones. When he's going as Bruce, Alfred's driving him somewhere. Yeah, and that's so, and that's true in this one too, right? Um, he's driving himself. Um, yeah, and and the car reminds me of an old school Batmobile. Yes, to, to an extent, and I love yes. that. It's so cool. It's a very cool design. Um, but I, I kind of, I mean, what I like about the media is like, they seem exasperated, like they seem excited that Bruce Wayne is there, right? It's not, it's like, oh, oh my yeah. gosh, it's Bruce Wayne. It, and to me, it's also this, this clamoring of the people of Gotham. They need their prince back, right? Like in a moment here, Falcone's going to refer to him as the prince of the city. He's been a recluse. I think the people of mm-hmm. Gotham really believed in the Wayne family and, you know, they see Bruce as pro- like just this sad recluse. So seeing him out in public, to me, it's like, He's seen two things here. He's he's seen a mob of people idolizing what is, in his mind, the villain. So it's a people who need a re-education. And then he's also seen a group of people who need the Wayne family again. They need the Waynes to be out there. Um, and then it's this little thing when, when Bruce reaches into his breast pocket to pull out. It's not, he pulls out some money, right? Because he's going to tip the the valet. The first few times I watched that movie, honestly, Amy, what I thought he was going for, and I still kind of wish this had been true. I thought he was actually going for his sunglasses because it's daylight. I mean, it's not, I mean, it's an overcast day, but I was like, oh my gosh, the sun's too much for him. But it isn't, that's not in fact what's going on. But, but even still, like he is still squinting and I, I, he has this, I love the way Rob plays this little scene. It's like he tries to awkwardly smile to them. Like he's trying to do what he thinks they want. 
but he doesn't know how to. And every time I watch a scene, Amy, I just want to hug him because it's like this poor boy just needs somebody to give him a hug and tell him it's going to be okay. (laughs) I mean, he doesn't know how to be Bruce. He only knows how to be the Batman and walking around without his costume on like the Riddler, you know, who talks about when he puts his costume on, he can be who his true self. And Bruce can't really be his true self as Bruce because he doesn't know who Bruce is. Yes. Yes. Um, well, to, to just kind of wrap things up here with, with this chapter, Amy, the last little moment here is, is he, he bumps into Falcone himself. And yeah. the, 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 the only things I want to note quick is, uh, um, <laughs> is the fact that it, it establishes that there's a history there of the families, right? That, that mm-hmm. his father, and this is, this is very true of, um, I think this is also in the comics, although oh, I could be misremembering They're in the comic book hush. Um, Bruce Wayne's father operates on, on, on his friends, whatever. doesn't matter. But in the context of the movie, it just establishes that Falcone has a history with Bruce's dad. But what I think is also impressive is Bruce isn't afraid to kind of like, he basically takes a shot at Falcone by saying, you know, uh, like, aren't you afraid someone's going to take a shot at you? And he, and he's like, well, don't, like, don't you think your father doing that for me meant something? He's like, it means he took the Hippocratic Oath, which, by the way, is mm-hmm. an oath that all doctors take when they get their medical license to basically they're all obligated to help somebody in need. Um, so I love it that he's he's not intimidated by Falcone. I mean, here's this crime boss and Bruce is basically just like kind of throwing shade at him, which I kind of like. Uh, what, what do you think about that, that that encounter between Bruce and Falcone? Yeah, I mean, it really shows the amount of respect that Bruce has for his father. And when he talks about bringing on his family's legacy, it's it's kind of his own oath to his family that he's going to try to help save this city, you know, just like his father was once help saving the city, regardless of who the person is that he's saving. Mm, yeah. Um, very, very true. Um, well, Amy, I think that's going to do it for chapter three here. Yeah, uh, you know, Carl, there's only one other thing I want to oh, highlight yeah, with this scene. And it, it goes back to um, that that great play that they do between the music and the sounds. Because when, when Falcone gets out of his car and Bruce sees him, he sees then somebody step out with the same boots that Selena wears. And we hear that little soft sound of the Catwoman music. And, you know, he, it's that anticipation he has. But at the same time... He drowns mm. out all the sounds of the the paparazzi and the news people and the protesters, and he he doesn't hear anything while he's focused on this moment, seeing who is getting out of this car with Falcone. Great, great. Uh, uh, thank you so much for for bringing that in. You're absolutely right. Yeah, uh, it, it kind of like he goes into tunnel vision, um, and 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 causes him to kind of rush up the steps to see if this is in fact her because he probably is feeling all sorts of things um but then it's revealed that it's not her um but uh and to that point when he rushes up the steps and all those kind of like bodyguards stop him it's just funny to me to think because a lot of those guys look a lot bigger than bruce because they are they're they're bigger built men yeah but in about an hour and a half he's gonna beat the shit out of all of them in a hallway (laughs) in the dark so (laughs) um so yeah. Uh, but yeah, great observation. Um, man, and those those boots, they're going to grab his eye no matter what for the rest of his life. <laughs> yeah, I just I, I think it's interesting, too, though, that, it, you know, usually the Catwoman's outfit is the signature outfit. And it just shows like they're just, you know, boots that a lot of the, the girls wear there. That's that's a common thing that they wear. Yeah, very true. <laughs> um. Well, I think that'll that'll wrap bring bring this chapter three to a close. Um, and just a just a quick note uh, for those of you listening. First and foremost, thank you for continuing to listen. Uh, I want to recognize as well that we've had we've had quite a few audio issues. So apologies for that. Amy and I have been working really hard to figure out what's going on. Neither one of us is our audio techs. <laughs> uh, normally podcasts don't have these many these many issues, we're not quite sure what's going on. So we're doing our best to make sure that the the sound continues to get better. Um, so, you know, if that's something you're noticing, please feel free to sh- shoot us a message because uh, we, we want to know. Um, we want to make the want to make the audio experience as best we can so that you'll keep listening because uh, we're sure loving talking about this movie. Um, so yeah, uh, I feel by the end of this, we will be audio experts. So yeah, we can help others. <laughs> no, 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 <laughs> n- not not by choice. <laughs> 
Um, but once again, everybody, thank you for, for listening to uh, chapter three. Don't worry, he's watching um, of the Bat and Cat podcast. Uh, you can follow us on Instagram at Bat Cat Podcast. We're also on Twitter at Bat Cat Podcast. You can always email us at batcatpodcast at gmail.com. So on behalf of our cat, Amy, I'm the Bat Carl, and we look forward to seeing you for chapter four of the Bat and the Cat podcast. Thank you.